Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, with Pastor John King. <clears throat> Thank you, Miss Heidi, for sparing the balloons this year. <laughs> and I think I know who the instigator is, but I won't say. Tabitha, that's you. You're the one, Tabby. Gotcha. My goodness. Well, thank you guys for voting. And yes, we do have, you know, I will say we got the best church around. As far as I'm concerned, we got the best church. But, um, and so my message will be pretty short today. So, all right. Well, thank you guys. Um, it, is, it is nice to be here today, and, and it's such a beautiful day outside. Um, uh, it's just, we, the Lord is just really looks out for us. You know, we, we said this morning in our devotional time from Isaiah that God walks alongside, and He actually holds your hand, and He says, I'll be with you, I'll protect you, I will keep you safe. And so, you know, having that in your heart really makes a difference. It makes a difference in our fellowship. It makes a difference when we really realize that we, we have a real God. You know, it's not just some, you know, thought or some higher being that lives out in the, you know, harsh reality of outer space somewhere. But we have our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came as a man and was tempted in every way as we are. And so we can relate to him because of his great love and because of his perfect plan. Amen? Amen? Well, we are still in the book of Philippians, and believe it or not, we're going to eke our way out of chapter 1 this morning. I know, shocker, right? We're going to be, as you can see, verses uh, 127 through 2-4. And so we know that as Paul is writing this letter, he's been in house arrest. He's in house arrest in Rome. He's been under confinement for four years. He's still waiting for his case to be heard. And we, we learned, you know, in light of all that, you know, Paul has some wisdom to share with us for those in, as we walk through life. And last week, he gave us a real important lesson on perspective, on having the big picture. And he said, no matter what your circumstance in life is, whether it's hardship, whether it's a debilitating illness, whether it's false accusations against you. In Paul's case, it was the threat of being uh, executed and put to death for betraying Rome. It's not the end of the world for a Christian. And so often we forget the fact that whatever we're dealing with, and some of it is mighty powerful and mighty hard to deal with, so I don't want to make light of it, but it is never the end of the world for a true believer. Never. God has given us the promise of resurrection. And Paul said it in verse 21. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I don't know any other philosophies and world religions that can tell you that. I don't think there are any. In fact, I know there aren't. Is it really that simple? Yes, <laughs> it is. It is that simple. You know, if you've paid, placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ... You are promised resurrection to eternal life by God. And that we also forget, even though we just celebrated Easter. Nothing can separate us from his love. Not the fiery darts of the enemy. All of the if-nots and what-ifs of life 
and their circumstances. And so today, as we, we take that you know, in, our, in our hearts and minds and we kind of move forward today, Paul's going to bring an exhortation to a very important topic. And it's kind of ironic. Uh, the topic today is church unity. Church unity. And so, you know, in light of the, you know, the, the voting and the things that have been happening, uh, I, I got to say, this, this topic is either going to be the most popular topic for a pastor to preach or one of the most difficult ones to preach. And from my, from my perspective, and trust me, I don't know everything. I don't know all that goes on, okay? I don't hear everything. I'm not omnipresent. But... It's a good one to teach. I enjoy teaching about unity. It's just a reminder to us that if God is going to bless us and be among us, we have got to stick together. And so our passage starts in verse 27. It's, it reads like this. It says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which to them is a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. In, ver in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so, Heavenly Father, your word, every bit of it is appropriate to us, and this is very appropriate to us in our day and age, as it always has been uh, for the church and for God's people. And so, Lord, thank you that you're here to instruct us today. May the Holy Spirit speak to us through your word today. And may it cause us to, to be strengthened and to be encouraged and corrected and to be built up in our love for you and our love for one another. Go before us in today's message. We pray in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, Paul starts out with, the, you know, talking about the conduct worthy of the gospel. And he starts out with a command and a commitment. Two parts in this one verse, chapter, uh, verse 27. He gives the command and then he will give the commitment needed through unity. And so he says, only in his command, he says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent. Now, the word he uses for conduct is different than you would normally use for conduct, which is the course of the manner of walking in your life. Paul only, I think, uses this term twice in the whole New Testament. It's not, you know, the Greek, the Greek language is very diverse and it has, it's very rich. And so, He's, he's saying here, your conduct, the, what that means is to be a citizen. 
to be a citizen. And so right away, maybe you think of politics because that's where we get the word politics. This Greek word is also where we get the word for our modern English word, politics. And so he says to live as a citizen. Now, it's, of course, it's a metaphor. You know, you can, what, is that pastor going to start preaching politics from the pulpit? No, but it is a metaphor. Some of you are like, I wish you would do more of that. But anyway, uh, so, but it's a metaphor for the fact that now you and I are citizens of heaven. Our politics are citizens of heaven. And he says, live that way. Whether I come back or not, you need to live that way and with that mindset. Because Paul didn't want to have his presence determine their behavior. You know, like, oh, Paul, you know, Paul the Pope shows up and we're all on good, on good terms and we're all getting along real well. That's not what Paul wanted. Paul wanted them to be, behave as God moved them. And so he says, come and see your conduct. And, you know, living your life as though you know that you're a citizen of heaven. Now, it's interesting because Paul was, a, was gifted of the Holy Spirit, and he said it himself. He says, I've become all things to all men. And he knew the people that he was dealing with here at Philippi. And this Roman colony had a whole bunch of um, military retired people. A bunch of military retired people. Kind of like we have around here. A bunch of military retired people. I won't go through the list. And... You know, some would try to say Elizabeth City Chamber of Commerce would want us to be a Coast Guard town, but I've come to know that this is not just a Coast Guard town. This is, you know, an agricultural area. There's a lot of rich history here. But he was really key on these citizens in Philippi. And he knew that if he could arouse their patriotism before they were Christians to Rome, because they were very proud people, if he could arouse that sense of patriotism to their new home and their new place, their heavenly citizenship, it would be a powerful thing. So he gives them the command, and now look what he says here. He goes, here's the commitment. I'm giving you the command. He says, that I may hear of your affairs, that you may stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, you've put all your energy in being Roman citizens prior and you're proud of that. Well, now I, I would like to hear of the talk of, of the Philippians, how you stand together. How you stand fast in one spirit. That means to persist and persevere with one mind. You know, that word psyche is another thing that comes from the Greek. One mind striving together for what? The faith of the gospel. You know, to strive together, this, it's got an interest. You could be striving against one another, but you can also be striving together. You're alongside others. And, you know, you realize very quickly as you read the Bible, especially in the New Testament, Christianity is not designed for lone rangers. It's not designed for that. It's not God's call that you try to do your Christianity all by yourself out in the middle of the woods somewhere. You know, try to find Jesus on your own was a famous line from a John Prine song. 
And that's not, that's not what it's called. And so, you know, you guys say church, that means together. We're together, you know, collectively, ecclesia. And here we are Sunday, set this time aside. And you guys are proving it. You're showing it that you want to strive together for the faith of the gospel. And not just in the building. We've we had testimonies of what goes on outside the building and how people have been taken through difficult times most recently. Now, he uses, again, these Greek words are amazing, right? He uses another Greek word for striving. It's synthaleo, but that's the word athletics. You're on a team, and you think about it. You know, this is team CCEC, okay? Local church. We're on a team. We're, we're, we're also a part of the greater, larger team, the body of Christ, because, you know, we don't want to be so narrowly focused on just us, because we've got brothers and sisters all around the world. A third of the entire earth's population claims to be Christians. So what Paul is saying is, I want to hear good talk. I want to hear things. He says, here's your commitment, that you're striving together, that you're working together as a team, just like a team of athletes. So in the Greek culture, they could relate to that. In the Roman culture, they could relate to the fact that now your citizenship is, is important, but it's in heaven. You see how Paul is all things to all men. And so, I would say to you guys, if you dare, if you dare to have a Christian bumper sticker on the back of your car, or a Christian t-shirt, or a fish symbol, you and I to be, need to be sure that we recognize the responsibility. Are you willing to behave what you believe. I mean, we have the knowledge. We teach the Bible. Are you willing to now behave what you believe? And you guys know it. I know it. There are some days, let's be honest, you pull out that t-shirt drawer and there's a Christian t-shirt and you're just not up for it. You're not ready. You, you know, your, your attitude or whatever God's dealing with you, you're given some thought that when you go out there with a Christian t-shirt with a statement that you need to really be ready for that. And if you don't think you're going to be a good ambassador for Christ, and if you're a terrible driver and you like to cut people off, <laughs> don't put a fish on the back of your car. Because that's what people are, oh, those Christians, you know. Strive together. We have some neighbors who believe a false gospel a church member told his pastor, do you have some literature I can give them? And the pastor opened his Bible to 2 Corinthians 3.2, which reads, you are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. He said, the best literature in the world is no substitute for your own life. Let them see Christ in your behavior, and this will open up opportunities to share Christ's gospel with them. The greatest weapon against the devil is a godly life, and a local church that practices the truth and behaves what it believes is going to defeat the enemy. This is the first essential for victory in this battle, writes Warren Wearsby. And so are you a committed Christ follower? You know, we have to ask this question. I have to ask this question. Because a lot of you I only see on Sunday. And I know your circumstances. But are you a committed Christ follower? 
And are you willing to stand fast together? With one mind. Not thinking identically and taking away your unique personality that God's given you. But when it comes to the things of the word of God, are you willing to stand together on the truth of the gospel? Or are you simply a churchgoer? And then, you know, when you ask that question, am I just a churchgoer? Do I believe that my church attendance secures my right standing with God? You need to compare yourself to Scripture, not others. And I have another even harder question. And maybe this is part of the struggle. Do you constantly find yourself in opposition towards other believers? That's a warning. That's a, that's a yellow or a red flag. You see, we're challenged to think of our unity as a team of athletes striving to win the race of faith together. And each of us, each of us here, has a specific position and a spiritual gifting. Using the same rule book, the Bible. Having the same goal to honor Christ and to do His will. That's what we're called to do. Now Paul begins, in our next section of this scripture today, he begins to talk about standing strong in the face of opposition. Unity is going to be affected by, as I said earlier, two things. Attacks from without and with attacks from within. And so he starts with the external. He's established the need for cooperation and unity. Now he adds the need for confidence. We need to be confident in what we believe. He says, in confidence, he says in verse 28, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Not frightened or scared. Now this describes your adversary, the devil, Satan, the Antichrist, all those who are opposed to the one true God, all of Satan's demons. And those who are under the control of them. Okay, and now we're going to be careful today because... We don't want to just willy-nilly demonize everybody that doesn't, is not a Christian. Uh, most people don't realize they're under the influence of the devil. But we don't want to put them in a place that we look down on them. We want to love them. We have, so you can't have the attitude that, you know, it's us against them. That's never going to work. But what it does prove, those who serve, he says here, uh, those who are adversarial, those who are outwardly against, especially those who are outwardly against the gospel of Jesus Christ, it proves to them that they're going to hell. Their perdition. It's proof of perdition. It's the word apalia. It's perishing. It's ruin. It's destruction. It's the destruction which consists of the loss of eternal life. Eternal misery. It's perdition, according to the Blue Letter Bible. It's the lot of those who are excluded from the kingdom. Now you can look at them as the enemy with hatred or you can look at them with love and compassion and know that they need to hear the gospel. That you, you and I, you know, as difficult and as hard as that is sometimes, we are to bring the gospel to those who are perishing. Because somebody did that for you. So... Having them come against you because of your faith in Christ, your adversaries, it's proof of their perdition. But to you, he says, of salvation and that from God. That's how you know you're saved. That's one aspect of knowing why that you're saved. 
The fact that you're, you're kind of out there, you're willing to do the hard things for the gospel and the sake of the gospel. And in some days it seems like everything is coming against it. That's how you know you're saved. That you're, you're preserved. And of course from God. So spiritual battles that bring opposition from the enemy actually prove that you're saved. One of my first spiritual battles when I became a Christian, you, can, you may be able to relate to this. I was thinking early on in my faith that all the battles would be over. After all, I'd experienced the peace of God. I'd experienced peace with God. I knew the war was over between God and I. But part of becoming a Christian means that you will also have a whole new set of battles. That's right. A whole, that's why we talked about spiritual armor earlier on in Ephesians. So yes, I'm at peace with God. I have the peace of God. Now I've got a whole new set of battles. But if it wasn't for the promise of resurrection and freedom from that someday, it would be hopeless. Later in this letter, Paul's going to discuss the fellowship of sufferings in Philippians 3.10. But remember what Jesus declared in John 16.33. He said this, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So, confidence of your salvation comes through opposition from those. Now, if you, if you just live a comfortable Christian life that never goes out and never takes the time to want to share your faith with anybody, which is unfortunately a large portion of the church, that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. That doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. I'm not trying to say that. But you may say, well, I'm not really having a lot of trouble. You know, life is good. <laughs> I'm enjoying my life. Well, maybe you need to ask the Lord Am I doing what you called me to do today? And it's day by day. We can't even lift, live on our past accomplishments. It's one day at a time. And so as faith in Christ is a gift of God, which we enjoy, we enjoy it. Enjoy your faith in Christ. So also is suffering. Verse 29. He says, For you it has been granted on behalf of Christ... Or on account of Christ. On account of the work that he has done on the cross. Not only to believe in him. But also to suffer for his sake. We're talking about the human suffering of Jesus' followers. And then Paul says. And by the way you're not alone. Look at verse 30. He says having the same conflict which you saw in me. And now you hear is in me. See, Paul's going through the same spiritual struggles that they are and that we are today. When you meet a fellow believer for the first time and you share with them your concerns and your prayer needs, and it's amazing how the Lord, you know, He can really break down those barriers sometimes. You meet a, a perfect, complete stranger that confesses Christ and you have that sense that they're a believer, you can really get with it. You can, you can really have a, a nice fellowship with somebody you may never see again. And for the first time, you share your concerns and prayer needs. You quickly realize that you're not alone as the enemy would have you to believe. He, see, Satan likes to push you off into a corner and think that all the things that you're going through are just, 
You know, it's you and it's your fault, your past sins and all the things you've done. Warren Wiersbe wrote this. He said, Satan wants us to think we are alone in the battle, that our difficulties are unique, and actually they're not, but such is not the case, he writes. Paul reminds the Philippians that he is going through the same difficulties they are experiencing hundreds of miles from Rome. And listen to this. A change in geography is usually no solution to spiritual problems. And I know some of you are moving and relocating, so I'm not talking to you directly wherever you guys are. I'm not saying you have some spiritual problems. Where, wherever, where are they? They're hiding. Anyway. Oh, there's one. <clears throat> but it's, you know, it's knowing that, well, first of all, the enemy's everywhere. So if you've got a spiritual problem here, you're going to have it over there too. And guess what? The enemy's everywhere and so is human nature. <laughs> and so if you're having problems with people here, you're going to have problems with people there. But knowing, he writes, knowing that my fellow believers are also sharing in the battle is an encouragement for me to keep going and to pray for them as I pray for myself. So important that we're connected. You know, now, hey, let's, let's celebrate the technology of texting. Let's celebrate the fact that we can text our prayer requests all over the globe to people, you know, all over the place. And we can set time aside to pray for. A guy asked me to pray uh, a group of folks on, a, you know, these group texts. And he was having an outreach up in, uh, in New Jersey yesterday. It's going to be a, a gospel outreach. And he said, please pray before, between 2 and 4 p.m. that the enemy would not try to hinder us. And, uh, you know... Everybody, yeah, we're praying, you know, amen. And you, you know, you, you want to believe that we're all praying. You at least took a little bit of time to pray. And then, it, you know, after the event was over, he said, there was no opposition. The gospel moved forward. Amen. You know, and so those are the kind of things that we enjoy and we get encouragement from. <clears throat> More encouraging is that, you know, according to the groups who study the trends, if you will, that's trends in church and faith and Christianity. Barna Research is one of the greatest ones. Most of the time, the news that they have for the state of the church for the last dec several decades has been terrible because the state of the church is truly in America, in, in, uh, in our Western civilization, is on the decline. That's, there's no doubt about the statistics there. But there is a rising spiritual openness in America, according to Barna, in an October 2022 survey of 2,000 U.S. adults, three out of four, 74% say they want to grow spiritually. Additionally, the same proportion, 77%, say they believe in a higher power. Now, yeah, we can get into the argument about which higher power. You know, we know we test the spirits. But the point is, there is a spiritual openness Half, or 44%, say that they're more open to God today than they were before the pandemic. And that's something, you know, you sh there's a lot of rebound taking place. It's not everywhere. We see it here a little bit. But there's a lot of rebound from after this pandemic of people, you know, they're searching for answers because everybody can see through the nonsense now. Everybody can see through it. And if you're allowing yourself to be deceived by it, because that's the enemy's goal. You know, you're, you're not in the majority, I would say. 
The same poll found that 80% of people think that there is a spiritual or supernatural dimension to the world. And this rising spiritual hunger includes over 70% of Gen, e, Gen, Z, Gen, e, Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, and Boomers. You know, boomers, we all come in last now, right? But we're at the same time, you guys know it, we're also witnessing serious backlash. Serious backlash from those who openly and sometimes violently oppose those who speak openly or practice biblical values regarding marriage, sexuality, and abortion. Each week we see it more and more. And many people will claim that they have never seen our society so contentious and divided. But we need to keep in mind that the battle for the souls of men and women hasn't stopped. Pagan culture may look different in our modern society, but the question for you and I is, do we still believe that Jesus is the only way? Do we still believe that the Bible is inerrant and infallible and it's God's word and it can make no mistake? Will you and I live your life in a way that honors and pleases God, despite what's going on? Even if it means losing popularity in culture and with family, not being invited to certain events. Keep in mind that the early church, Paul, the one who's writing this, and all of the apostles gave their lives for this. And many still do today around the world. In fact, many more because the population of the earth is so much greater now. And so are you willing? Are you willing to, you know, do, I'm not going to give you a political left or right or direction. That's not my job. My job is to tell you what the Bible says. And to be aware of what goes on in our culture. We all need to be doing that. We need to be wise. But we look at it through the lens of Scripture. Amen? And so we are united in suffering, which means proof of salvation. How can you prove that, John? Well, look at James 5.10. He says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. I mean, there was a time when God spoke through the prophets to the nation Israel, and they suffered greatly for telling the king what he didn't want to hear. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That's what we are. You know, the early church was compared to being sort of like a death culture and cannibals because they took communion and they called it the body of Christ. So it's easy for the, the world not to understand us which is why we need to present Jesus' love. The Bible is used by God for you and I to have our change our mind and our way of thinking. And this renewed thinking includes being willing to suffer. Not to be brought upon yourself as a martyr, thought of as a martyr, but to be willing to suffer. But the other thing we need to be careful of when we suffer as Christians is make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Make sure you're not bringing it upon yourself by being um, unruly and foolish and prideful. 
But you're not alone. You and I are not alone in your suffering. And if you want to find out that that's true, you know, come to a prayer meeting. <laughs> come to men's prayer. Go to women's prayer. Come early for church. Be a part of a prayer meeting and you will find that you are not alone. Next we see now steps towards unity. We move into chapter 2. Having spoken to them about the need to hang together against external opposition. Paul now shifts from, to what many consider to be the church's greatest enemy. Struggles from within the local fellowship. He starts out with consolation in verse 1. He says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love. Consolation is Christ means exhortation or encouragement. If you're in Christ, you should have that. And he's sort of saying, look, if there's any of that, any comfort in love. He asked them first off to consider how they were strengthened by Jesus when the Holy Spirit came alongside them at salvation. It's so important for you and I to remember the fact that we're saved and, when it, and how it happened, how God worked in your life, how you stood before God as a sinner, how you were honest about your sin with Jesus and you were willing to say, Lord, I need you. I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you the rest of my life. And so that's our consolation. So instead of looking at others when we start talking about conflict, we start looking at ourselves and remember the consolation you have. Because not all conflicts are going to work out the way we would like them to. But we need to know where we stand with Jesus. The comfort of love. This is the unconditional love of Jesus. And this is the comfort and security of his love. Do you sense that? The comfort and the security of Jesus' love in your life. As you sit there early in the morning with a cup of coffee. Looking at that beautiful whatever you got. A garden or whatever it is. Time alone with the Lord and in his word. He then says, is there any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy? This fellowship means koinonia. This is participation together as Christians in local fellowships. But he says, if there's any affection and mercy, this is being tenderhearted and compassionate. And I can tell you that goes a long way. Being tenderhearted and compassionate, people will never forget that as long as they live. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So Paul is pointing these things out in order to help them to maintain unity and mutual care within the church. And really, if you think about it, how are you going to live a life worthy of the gospel if you're not willing to be a part of that and to play a role in that? You know, at some point or another, you and I are going to disagree about something. It could be the direction or the vision of the church or how we prefer to conduct our services, our fellowship events, or the type of outreach we pursue. And sometimes our disagreements can turn into actual conflicts. Pastors, ministry leaders, servants, and missionaries, everyone who has a stake in the advancement of the kingdom can get so discouraged that they're ready to quit altogether. Some of the, some of the, you know, the people you put on a, uh, not, not you shouldn't, but people you put on a pedestal that you look up to highly in a spiritual sense 
when they're being honest with you, they'll tell you that many times in their life, whether they were pastors or leaders or missionaries, they wanted to quit altogether. They were ready to say goodbye. I'm not saying that today. And I think one of the reasons why, and there are times when, of course, let's be honest, of course I get to, you know, discouraged sometimes. We all do. But you guys, you do make it easy. You guys make it easy to pastor a church. I will tell you that. I've heard so many stories. I've heard so many nightmare things go on in fellowships, even within our movement. And I am so thankful for you guys. Because by and large, you're mature believers who want to be on the same team. And it is amazing. It's an honor and a privilege. But we have our problems and we will have our disagreements from time to time. Amen? Sort of. <laughs> oh, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you were also doing. In other words, keep on doing it. Keep on trucking. Fulfill my joy, verse 2, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. To be like-minded is to be made complete. Having the same mind, how? By being on the same page. Again, not group think that everybody thinks alike, like cults. But having the same mind and looking at the Bible as the authority, the same playbook, the same rule book. But also, not only that, having the same love. This is that personal consolation you have in Christ now being spread out among your brothers and sisters. He says, being of one accord, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, I will tell you, I, I mentioned earlier about spiritual battles and the battles that I've had, and I know that you've all had them in one way or another, one sh or shape or form. One of the uh, toughest battles that I've experienced, and some of you may be able to relate to this, is the in internal conflict within a church. Especially when I first came to know the Lord, you know, I, I got saved in a church, a local church, and then there was this big church split. Not because, not because of me. I'm sure. Oh, you want to be a Christian? We're out of here. And I wasn't like that. But I mean, you know, it was just the sad, the drama, you know, the church meetings and, the, and just the, all the stuff that went on. It weighed heavy. It discouraged so many people. People scattered. They never have come back to church, some of them. And some, God allows that to happen. And some people, folks, I hate to say it, but it's true. Some people are always causing controversy and conflict in the body of Christ. They're always doing it until the Lord gets a hold of them in one way or another. But it's also revealing, perhaps, that they're not saved. And the Lord said that there would be not to pull up the tares. The wheat and the tares would fellowship together until he comes to harvest. So that helps us with our, our big picture aspect of things. But then there's the reaction to the bad behavior that gets us even worse trouble. It makes us, it makes me, you know, the kind of person, oh, you, you know, you hurt my feelings. You said something. You came against me. How dare you? Oh, my goodness. And all the drama that goes with that. And in our own frustration, if you're being honest, we've vented and spoken ill of those who we go to church with. Let's be honest. We have. 
And we've done it sometimes in front of our kids and our grandkids. And unfortunately, some of us have seen them grow up and go far away from the church. Now, I'm not saying that that's the reason you have a prodigal right now, but that can certainly be a cause. And so that's a reason to, be mo- to stay motivated to be in unity and to watch how we as adults speak of others who attend church with. Because yes, it can be frustrating sometimes. It can get a little sticky sometimes and contentious. But we're responsible. We need to be responsible. And so as he takes us to our last two verses, he says he starts to give steps towards unity. These are our steps towards unity. He recognizes that conflicts and relationships among believers is a reality. And he identifies two particular reasons for relational conflict. And that is what we're all familiar with because we see it in ourselves. Selfishness and conceit. He says in verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Self-ambition and conceit. These are two relationship killers. They kill relationships. We're all guilty of it. Selfish ambition is a partisan spirit. It's it's to be factions. It's rivalry. It's these folks and that. They don't do their job and we're doing all the work and look at them and how come and why not? And that's strife and partisanship. Now, yes, there are things that need to be addressed from time to time with leadership, as in a family. There are things that do need to be addressed. But there's a proper way to do it. And then, of course, he talks about conceit or vainglory. This refers to the, uh, the biggest killer we have. And that's our ego and our pride. That's what Satan had. That's what he imparted to us through Adam. That's what gets us in trouble every day. Proverbs 13.10. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. And so he says, with lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself, having a humble opinion of yourself. In that society, this this humility, true humility, was not looked upon very favorably in this sort of honor-shame society. It wasn't looked at very... It was weakness. It was considered weakness in, in that type of society. But we're called to behave in a different way. It says, let each esteem others better or consider others better, superior, better than. You see, you and I have two or three phrases that are often lacking. You say, why do you keep saying you and I? (laughs) Well, I don't want to leave anybody out. (laughs) We have two or three words lacking in our vocabulary. The first is, I'm sorry. The second, I was wrong. Pride and an exaggerated opinion of ourselves from keeping, keep us from taking that first step. You know, we want to wait for the other person to come to us. They know what's right. But the way to combat that is to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. You and I need to stand before the Lord in humility and recognize His great love and mercy and let the Word of God be the mirror that we stand before. 
That's the mirror. The word of God. And finally, the cure. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Of course, you and I will always look out for our own needs. And it's not wrong to do so unless it's all we ever do. He says also for the interest of others. It's not one or the other, but it's a balance between your natural tendency to care for yourself and the needs of others. And the more we exercise that, now this is that spirit-filled, you know, Holy Spirit help, that spirit-filled, spirit-led lifestyle. The sooner we can get in step with God, the better off we're going to be. Amen? Amen? So as we close, again, we return to the importance of unity among believers. It takes spirit-filled believers to do that. And remember, this is something that we're being worked on. We're under construction. We're never completed because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So I just want to close in prayer today. And, and again, um, thank you all for taking the time to come out today and, and be a part of this fellowship. It is, a, it is truly a blessing. And uh, I've already said too much, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you, Lord, of your word. It's, it's like a sword. And when, it's, when it cuts, it cuts very precisely when it's being done by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we know that your love is like a balm. It's like a, a, a soothing and healing thing for us as well. To bring us back to wholeness. And so Lord I pray that today that my words weren't used in a way to offend others. But they were used in a way to edify and strengthen all of us. And so Lord I just ask that you would go before our fellowship today. Go before the time that we have. This beautiful day that you've given us. May we enjoy our time with our family and our friends. And Lord we look forward to the time when we can gather again in your name. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.